Whether this is her first Mother's Day or her 40th, she deserves more. Shop tons of stunning on-trend jewelry for every budget at Diamonds Direct. Diamond fashion jewelry, beautiful birthstones, everyday pearls, starting at just $200. Commemorate the real loves of her life with a gorgeous pendant featuring the birthstone of the one who made her mom. This Mother's Day, Diamonds Direct is everything you need to say thank you. Diamonds Direct, your love, our passion. Online at DiamondsDirect.com. You know you've got a comeback in you. When you take the next step, you're going to make it count. For your career, for your family, for your life. You can earn a degree you're proud of with Purdue Global. Purdue Global is backed by Purdue University, one of the nation's most respected and innovative public universities. This is your chance. This is your opportunity. This is your comeback. Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. When you have insurance, it's easy to forget about your out-of-pocket costs. That can be a lot of money. How do you know you're not overpaying? HealthLock can help. HealthLock is a technology company that securely connects with your insurance and reviews your claims for overbilling, wrong codes, and even fraud. To date, HealthLock has saved its members over $130 million. To save, visit HealthLock.com. Do it today before you see another healthcare provider. When you buy Kroger brand products, you feel like you're winning. That's because they offer proven quality at lower than low prices. In fact, we guarantee that you and your family will love how Kroger brand products taste. Or you get your money back. So next time you're shopping for the family, look for delicious Kroger brand products. Because they'll make you all feel like you're winning. Shop now, in-store, or online. Kroger. Fresh for everyone. Hi, I'm Molly Jongfast, and this is Fast Politics, where we discuss the top political headlines with some of today's best minds. And Vladimir Putin lives to oligarch another day. What a show we have for you today. The New York Times' David Leonhard gives a gut check on the volatility of the primaries and how fast they can turn. Then we'll talk to North Carolina State Senator Representative Rachel Hunt on her run for lieutenant governor in North Carolina and why that state's gerrymander is so messed up. But first, we have the host of The Next Level, The Bulwarks, Tim Miller. Welcome back to Fast Politics, Tim Miller. Hey, good to be back, Molly. I'm just going for that gold jacket, you know. (laughs) That's right. I'm going for it. We have a special gift we give out to guests who come on the podcast uh, numerous times. It's a gold jacket. 69 uh, times. I'm going for it. That's right. So let's talk about the Chris Christie presidential run. I feel like the Republican field... It's like a messy bitch. It is a messy bitch. Uh, the party is a messy bitch. I mean, literally, MTG called Lauren Boebert a little bitch this week right. in the House floors. <laughs> not as if we're exaggerating. She was like, in my defense, she is a little bitch. <laughs> um, <laughs> the Republican campaign, I, I think we can break these groups down into a few categories. And there's the first category, which is people that are trying to get famous in MAGA, in MAGA world. And maybe they'll get lucky and things will go their way. That's the Vivek 
Ramaswamy group, people of that nature. That kind of overlaps with the grifting group, this mayor of Miami, you know, who seems to be a felon, like, or at least an alleged one. Yes, that's you know, right. So, so maybe He's had can, some problems, yeah. Okay. I thought he was going to running to be Trump's VP. And, or getting Suarez. into the cabinet, right? So like these yeah. people have some logical, you know, the, fo- right. the folks who are of MAGA world. Then there's the category of delusional people. And that is, I think, the most dangerous category, depending on how delusional they are. And that's your Tim Scott's, Nikki Haley, Mike Pence, Will Hurd. This group, I think... because they're in this cloistered bubble of Wall Street Journal Republicans, they think the party's something they're not, that it's not still. I don't know if they've been in a coma for eight years. I mean, these voters <laughs> literally tried to kill Mike Pence, and yet he thinks that they're going to now nominate it's him. <laughs> they were saying elect Mike Pence, not hang Mike Pence. Yeah. yeah. So, I mean, maybe Tim Scott thinks he's going to be VP, but the other, other folks, I, I think, really are just wishing for a party that doesn't exist. And the question yeah. is, will they get out and enough time to realize it or will they stay in and, and harm you know whoever emerges as a, as a, as a more prominent anti-trump candidate i think there's an open possibility that there's an a, a, like a literal trump grift going with some of these people like I, and i don't have any evidence of this um right. so you know but conspiracy tims my goosebumps are starting to pop up a little bit on this uh, with some of these candidates it's like is does trump have a deal with some, you know a little backroom deal with some of these guys again you know no evidence don't uh don't don't write any articles about this yet but it, but it's just that's something i think to keep an eye on it seems very possible that there is. I mean, we have seen a lot of times in Trump world when you suspect something sketchy is going on, you're usually right. Yeah, I think that's right. The one person that doesn't fit that is Chris Christie, who you asked about. Yeah. And, I, and I think the Chris Christie situation is a little different. He said, actually, I quoted this in my book. I wish I had it pulled up. But like he basically told in a, in a podcast, with The Dispatch, like years ago, you know, that like when you leave the governor's mansion and the lights turn off... You know, it's hard to replace that feeling right. of being needed, of, of the media calling you. He's like, people stop calling you, people stop needing you. And I think Chris Christie is just really needy. Yeah. And, that, and that he's right now, for at least a short period of time, I have my needing this for good um, in order to go straight at Trump. I wish he'd done it eight years ago. I'm not going to you know, go over the top and praise him because who knows, he could end up you know, starting to move into the delusional category and start attacking other candidates um, besides Trump. But for now, he's been doing the right thing. He wants attention. He's getting attention. You know, I think he has a little bit of an ego issue too. He wants to show that he's not actually Trump's beta bitch who just goes and fetches hamburgers, that he's a man with dignity. I think that is certainly possible I want to ask you, with this situation with Christie, he has this incredible ABC contributorship deal where he makes like almost half a million dollars a year. So there is the good of he's attacking Trump, right? But then there is the bad of like he's also just trying to stay relevant. Like if he doesn't run this cycle, he doesn't get that contributorship again. Correct. Yeah, I'm slogging away in the MSNBC salt mines over here, like, you know, doing (laughs) doing umpteen hits a week. He shows up once a month on ABC, he's getting a half milli. Okay, whatever. It's it's enough to to make me go Bernie. Not really, but there is that motivation for sure. There's a selfish motivation, and this is why I said, and me and Charlie got into a little bit of a heated back and forth, you know, where Charlie is, I think, very, from a good faith place, is impressed and excited that we have somebody actually saying the same things who's in a Republican primary that we've wanted Republicans to say for eight years. I see that perspective. I just know Chris Christie and, and I'm skeptical of him. I mean, 
mean, he is he is he's somebody that that basically tanked all the other candidates to help Trump in 2016. He stuck with him, you know, literally through near Trump death. Gave when him Trump, COVID. Yeah, yeah, Trump near gave death. him COVID. You know, so this is not a trustworthy guy. You know, he's somebody yeah. that I can trust as far as I can throw him. And so you can imagine how far that is. But I can't, can't even nudge him, I don't think. And so, like I said, I have a wary eye, but I will say him being on Fox, him today's at the Faith and Freedom Conference. We're taping this on Friday. Him going into the lion's den and saying these true things about Donald Trump serves some value. And, and I have to tell you, I, I'll just say this. I loathe Chris Christie. I don't think I've given him a genuine compliment in about a decade. And so I, I want to give him just one right now in this podcast. Right. He went on Fox. Right. And said about trans youth, you know, and and finally said the actual small government thing, which is I don't get why Sarah Huckabee Sanders thinks that she knows better what should happen to teenagers than their parents and their doctor. And I'm like, man, that's actually a small government conservative sentence that, that you would have heard maybe 10 years ago from certain types of Republicans, not all, they're always Bible bangers, but, but certain types. And no one is doing that now. If he's going to say these things in Fox and at conservative conferences, okay. I, I'm still cautious. I mean, I, I still think he might turn, do a heel turn, and and start working for evil again. But uh, but but for the time being, you know, I, I think that he that there's an a symmetry between him saying the right thing and him getting the attention that he craves. Right. It's useful, if nothing else. Exactly. Primary field isn't even full, right? Like Rick Scott is now toying with jumping in. I mean, who is that for? Rick Scott is what one of the people I was thinking of when I mentioned my little spidey sense tingling on is there some backroom Trump deal happening right now? Because that's for nobody. I mean, he has no constituency. The only thing I could possibly think of that's not, you know, some kind of dirty tricks happening is that some of these guys are egomaniacs and are thinking Trump might actually be in jail. Like this stuff might drive him so insane that he actually strokes out. And DeSantis has looked pretty weak as a candidate. Yeah. Weaker than we expected. And so why not just throw my hat in the ring and maybe the chips will come up Rick Scott. Now, we all who are not don't have narcissistic personality disorder can look at this and say, no matter what happens, like like Trump, you know, Trump could be buried in the ground and, and Ron DeSantis could pee his pants on on stage and Republicans will still not turn to Rick Scott as they're saying, yeah. okay, there's no yes, situation that no I can, I guess, understand while somebody like him who thinks he's the greatest thing ever, you know, could think, could look at the Trump and DeSantis thing and say, who knows? Um, right, right. I, I think that's, I think basically that's one possibility, you know, super narcissism. The other possibility is that him and Trump have some, have some deal going and Trump knows that any one or 2% he can shave off of DeSantis is, you know, makes his chances of, of winning get even higher. Right. This is still really Donald Trump's primary. Oh, I mean, he's very much in the driver's seat. I, I look at this with DeSantis. I've always been slightly more bullish on DeSantis than some of our friends who are like ready to say he's dead already. It's like, it's a long primary. Right. There were plenty of times where Joe Biden looked like he was dead. I think DeSantis has a lot of weaknesses. Plenty. I mean, I actually wrote a piece that I really regret where I said, because, you know, Biden lost the first two primaries. Yeah. We could go back and look what I wrote after New Hampshire. It wasn't pretty about old Joe yeah. Biden. <laughs> well, <laughs> it was not right either. So, you know, I'm trying to learn from that, be a little more cautious. Me too. I think that things could turn towards DeSantis. Right. That said, it does not look very good for him at all. And and here's and here's what I'm seeing, really. If you remember the Ted Cruz 2016, you know, Ted Cruz like really did well 
with the super evangelicals, the super ideological Republicans, right? That was enough to win the Iowa caucus where there's a lot of religious voters and, and you know, fewer people show up to caucuses because they're complicated. And then he goes to New Hampshire, which has a lot less ideological voters, open primary people who just kind of liked the, the WrestleMania element of Trump, right? And, and Trump slaughters him. Then goes to South Carolina, Trump slaughters him. Goes to Nevada, which is a really good state for Trump. I, there's something about the Vegas Trump connection yeah, i can't quite figure that way. out yeah so so i'm just looking at desantis and it's like man it just he feels like he's headed straight down the barrel for exactly what happened to ted cruz and i don't know how he can get out of that and do a better job appealing to these mega voters the sale is not going to be made for them by a laundry list of conservative policies that's not why they like trump you know they like trump because of you know, how he makes the left crazy, right? They like Trump because of his alpha demeanor. I thought, you know, I think he's a puss, but you know what I mean? They see that in him. Right. How does DeSantis get reach those folks? It's hard to see right now. And I think that's why he's a really big underdog. I mean, it's interesting because it's like when he came up, he was like the National Review favorite and they were right. so excited and it was so cute. But I was like, you guys, this is totally, this guy's a total fascist and he's worse for LGBTQ than Trump. I mean, there's nothing good about Trump, but Trump does not have an ideological, you know, obsession with hurting gay people. Whereas you really do see with DeSantis, I mean, real or not real, you the proof is in the state laws. Oh, yeah. I mean, it's very real. And this is something that I think a lot of people don't really understand about Trump that you're hitting on, is that in 16, when I was doing the anti-Trump super PAC, the thing that really surprised and disappointed me that I didn't see coming was that Trump did extremely well with the least conservative Republicans in the primary, ideologically right. speaking. Like if you poll people on issues, it was him and Kasich. You know, in my head, I was like, this doesn't make sense. This guy wants to ban Muslims. This guy is insane. But those voters, they saw the apprentice Trump. You know, they saw the guy from New York City who isn't going to be a weird, you know, kind of a religious weirdo. And so Trump ended up kind of having this this strange coalition of like super conservative people, you know, who liked the fact that he was, you know, going there on the Muslim ban and things like that. And then super moderate Republicans, working class, moderate, non-church going Republicans who liked that he wasn't like a Ted Cruz, like, you know, uh, wasn't going to like put in place a, five, a six week abortion ban with no exceptions like Ron DeSantis did. Right. He did well with both of those groups in the Republican primary. And he is right now doing. And so that is why, in a weird way, DeSantis is super far right policies in the legislature. I don't think are helping him as much in this primary as he thinks they are. I think I think they're actually hurting him with that more moderate group who stayed in the Republican Party, who who like Trump and don't and see him as less ideological. Yeah. I mean, I also think part of the secret with Trump was that there were the people who believed he believed what they believed. I mean, he was Schrodinger's candidate, right? Because he didn't really have any belief system. So you could put anything you wanted on him. Yes. And DeSantis doesn't have that at all. No. Right. Like, you know exactly what he is. You know, he's going to be a far right culture warrior. And look, there's an appetite for that in the Republican Party. Yeah. But the problem for DeSantis is if he's splitting that vote with Trump, you know, because some of those people like Trump, too. Right. No, all those people like Trump. Yeah. 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 And so then Trump is crushing him 
with the other group. You know, how does the math work? I think that's very astute and exactly right. The Trump was kind of what, what he needed to be for different people. Yeah, it's so interesting. I mean, and I wonder, again, as we're going through this, I mean, there will be more. There's a debate in August, right? That's sort of the beginning of it. One of the things I love about this debate is that Rona... Rhonda, McDaniel, Romney. She has done this to herself. She deserves no pity, but she came up with this brilliant idea that she was going to make people sign this pledge. Nobody is going to sign this pledge. Yeah, I don't. I have no idea. And maybe that ends up working in Trump's favor. For everyone who's not completely read in on this, the pledge is that they will support whoever gets the nomination. Asa Hutchinson, poor Asa Hutchinson, the one sane candidate, was like, can we make it so that we won't support the candidate? They're guilty of a felony. And yeah. Rona's like, no. Yeah, poor Rhonda. Um, not really. I think that there's an exempic <laughs> thing happening there. Yeah, talk about reap what you sow. Yeah. The thing that I would love to be a fly on the wall for you know, because I was part of this in 2016, where I was so mad at Reince, who was my old boss, and I was working for Jeb, and he, you know, came up with the stupid pledge idea and took the train up to, to Trump <laughs> Tower, and Reince and Trump had a little PR conference, and I'm calling him like, what the fuck are you doing, Reince? I was like, you're helping this guy, like, you're gonna make us sign this pledge, and he's like, no, I'm saving you, because when Jeb wins the primary, then Trump won't be able to go third party. I'm like, you think that guy's gonna honor the pledge? The guy who spent his whole life stiffing people this guy has spent his whole life breaking contracts like this is moronic and yet ron is now walking down that same path and, and i don't and i would love to just be a fly on the wall of the like chris lasavita ronna mcdaniel <laughs> conversations about the debate because they the tr trump doesn't want these people right like if trump's going to participate she's like caught between trump and the other folks or all the other folks want one thing but trump wants another thing but she wants trump to be on the stage and so right. it's like, how do you create rules that like bring Trump into the stage and then bring enough other people? I think that there's a lot of drama left between now and, and August 20th or August somewhere in the August 20s when, when the debate is to see how this shakes out. Yeah. I mean, it seems completely crazy. And the problem for her is if for some reason he doesn't agree, then there's you have a Republican debate without the front runner. Yeah. Who, who watches it? It becomes the ratings go down. It becomes less interesting. Then it becomes you against Trump. Trump obviously ends up doing some kind of counter programming, probably starts insulting the RNC. Right. So, I mean, yeah, and they, they, they she finds herself in a very precarious situation with regards to this debate. What are you looking at this week? I mean, we're in this sort of sleepy summer zone now. But I mean, August is going to be huge for this Republican primary field. What else are you looking at? Looking a week ahead. I'm just trying to survive <laughs> every day. Molly Jong fast. Like what is happening? Is next week the 4th of July? Hi. Actually, one thing I'm doing next week, it's a little different than Republicans. You might want to use this for the podcast or not. Is I'm going to go try to see Presley, who's running against Tate oh, yes. Governor of Mississippi. Oh, fantastic. Yes. Talk about that for two seconds, because that's a Carvel's been talking to us about that. Yeah. Brandon Presley. It's an interesting race. So we've got, uh, it's the off year. So there's an election this November and Mississippi governor, Brandon Presley, who's the Democrat, who's, you know, the kind of Democrat that could win in Mississippi. He was a land commissioner, right? Yep. And he's a little bit more, uh, he's a little bit more moderate. And I live in New Orleans now. And so he's having an event about an hour away in South Mississippi. And so I kind of want to go check him out. Tate Reeves, 
who is like literally if you were doing a parody of a southern republican yes. governor and you had tate reeves like you know <laughs> republicans would be like this is offensive like uh this guy like republicans aren't this stereotypical and there's a lot of corruption stuff because of the scandal the medicare tate reeves sports stadium scandal it's with brett Favre. yeah so tate reeves and brett Favre um had this you know, kind of insider deal to help, like literally to because yes. Brett Favre wanted to get his daughter <laughs> right. a volleyball court or something. It's like the <laughs> it's stupidest so bad. thing ever. Brandon Presley is a cousin of Elvis related. That is it's right. Not, that's is just a... an accident. So it's the cousin of Elvis. I'll probably write some for the book, so we'll check it out. But I want to get a sense for whether this is doable. This there is a history of this. So Louisiana, where I live now, has a Democratic governor. I'm I'm that's less right. confident John about the Bell race Edwards. Here, John Bell Edwards. And, you know, in the South, in these governor's races, you get these one party states where there's too much corruption. Candidates go a little bit too, you know, you can even go too far from Mississippi. That is possible. So I think that like Kansas. Yeah, like Kansas. So I wouldn't predict a Brandon Presley victory at this point, but but he is he's running a much stronger campaign than people expected. I'm excited to go see him next week. Oh, fantastic. Thank you so much, Tim Miller. I hope you'll come back. Thanks, Molly. AI might be the most important new computer technology ever. It's storming every industry, and literally billions of dollars are being invested. So buckle up. The problem is that AI needs a lot of speed and processing power. So how do you compete without costs spiraling out of control? It's time to upgrade to the next generation of the cloud. Oracle Cloud Infrastructure, or OCI. OCI is a single platform for your infrastructure, database, application development, and AI needs. OCI has four to eight times the bandwidth of other clouds, offers one consistent price instead of variable regional pricing, and of course, nobody does data better than Oracle. So now you can train your AI models at twice the speed and less than half the cost of other clouds. If you want to do more and spend less like Uber, 8x8, and Databricks Mosaic, take a free test drive of OCI at oracle.com strategic. That's oracle.com strategic. oracle.com strategic. This is it. Your moment. This is your time to make your comeback with Purdue Global. When you come back with a Purdue Global degree, you create opportunity for yourself, your family, and your future. It's a degree you can be proud of, a degree that employers will trust and respect. Purdue Global offers working adults like you over 175 flexible degree programs to meet your specific career goals. These include associate, bachelor's, master's, and doctoral degrees and certificates. Purdue Global degree programs range from nursing to business to communication and more. Whatever your interest, we have the degree that will move you forward. You have the knowledge. You have the experience. Now it's time to get credit for the work you've done and earn the recognition you deserve with Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. You know you're worth it. We do too. So don't wait another second to get the degree that will take your career to the next level. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. Hey everyone, it's Ted from Consumer Cellular, the guy in the orange sweater, and this is your wake-up call. If you're paying too much for wireless service, you don't have to keep having that nightmare. Consumer Cellular has the same fast, reliable coverage as the leading carriers for up to half the cost. So why keep spending more than you have to? Seriously, wake up! And call 1-888-FREEDOM or visit ConsumerCellular.com. Savings based on cost of Consumer Cellular single line 1, 5, and 10 gig data plans with unlimited talk and text compared to lowest cost single line postpaid unlimited talk text and data plans offered by T-Mobile and Verizon January 2024. Snag a job is where America goes to hire with the deepest talent pool in hourly hiring. With access to over 6 million active hourly workers, 
Snagajob is the all-in-one solution for hiring high-quality employees who can cover all your needs. On demand, temp to hire, part-time or full-time. You name the position. Warehouse worker, retail associate, grocery store clerk, fitness trainer, baker, stylist, bellhop, podcast producer. Yeah, Snagajob's got a worker for that. With our easy-to-use platform, you're able to seamlessly post and fill available positions quickly with a dedicated customer support team to provide all the help you need along the way. Kind of nice knowing you have a talent pool like that in your own backyard, right? Snagajob is the partner you need to keep your business running smoothly. So visit snagajob.com or text snag to 242424 to talk to an expert. Snagajob.com, where America goes to hire. David Leonhardt is a senior writer at The New York Times. Welcome to Fast Politics, David. It's great to be on the show. It's great to have you. So you write this newsletter that is the newsletter. (laughs) It's the New York Times newsletter, and you do have help with it. And you took a book, Leaves, but you write it many, many, many times a week. I write the lead item, I don't know, maybe four times a week. Sometimes this week I wrote it, I think, every day. We've got a great team of people who including people in London who wake up before people in the U.S. wake up and they put the finishing touches on it. And the idea is it's sort of we want it's we want to give people an overview of everything that's in The New York Times. But we also want to focus on one story. So usually at the top, I try to help people sort through the news on one major story. And then and then lower down, we give them all the headlines and culture coverage and and sports and all that. And so it's it's meant to be like a digital replacement for the old print newspaper. I'm curious, you're read in on so much stuff. I have always this anxiety that I'm missing something. You know, I do this podcast three times a week. I get to interview a lot of people, but I always feel like there's some really important essay I have missed reading, you know, that there's some piece of news that I have wrong. I mean, for example, I have a friend who writes on the Justice Department beat, and he's always telling me, like, you know, a certain story might not be quite right or this or that. I mean, do you have that anxiety? You must have that anxiety. I do have that anxiety. I mean, I think what what I have, I have this great advantage, which is I can call anyone at The New York Times. Right. <laughs> That's not bad. And I yeah. can ask for their help and I can quote them and I can also ask them to edit me. And so... What I will typically do when I write a piece, uh, say, I, you know, any piece I write about the Supreme Court, I'll send to Adam Liptak. And usually what he does is he'll say, well, that's not quite right. Change that. Uh, change that. That doesn't mean that I don't still sometimes get things slightly off. It's just really it's kind of a wonderful resource to be able to not only talk to my colleagues up front and make sure that I'm kind of getting really interesting information, but then also have them help me on the back end. Because, you know, I I think your point is is right on, which is a lot of times you can say something that is not a correctable error, but is slightly off. And then look, other times you're going to say something that a source is going to say, well, that's not quite right. And what the source really means is I I disagree with that a little bit and they can disagree with it, but it doesn't mean that that what you wrote was necessarily wrong. Right. And I do think though, with so much of the stuff, like, I mean, one of the fundamental anxieties of the Trump era is that if a mistake is made, like a good faith error, there's a lot of this stuff is very complicated, especially when it comes to like stuff like the documents, right? Like, let's even talk about like, you know, there were, the Washington Post had, this is a while ago, had had said that Trump had nuclear documents, but the Times did not say that because they couldn't 
run it down and they didn't want to take the chance. And then eventually it did turn out, but they were being super careful. Do you see that kind of thing? I mean, do you have that kind of anxiety? Because I do feel like one of the things that Trump did and the Trumpists did was that a good, you know, an error, they would sort of blow it up into some kind of conscious fake news as opposed to like people are fallible. Yeah, people are fallible. And I think, I mean, Trump would do that. Trump also lied constantly about almost everything. I once put together a list and I couldn't keep it updated. Um, I mean, it had hundreds of items. I mean, he just lied constantly. He he doesn't seem to care whether what he's saying is the truth. If it if if saying the truth benefits him, he'll say the truth. And if and if lying benefits him, he'll lie. And so um, I do think the Trump era made a lot of, you know, made it harder sometimes to think about the idea of truth. I would encourage people on the other side of the political spectrum, progressives, to also to be careful with this. Because I think we've gotten to the point where a lot of progressives will call a wide array of things that they disagree with misinformation. And I think you really want to use words like, I just use lies to describe Donald Trump because I do think he does. But there are many things that I disagree with that I don't think are misinformation. And I worry that while the Republican Party certainly lies more often than the Democratic Party in recent years, that doesn't mean that people on the left half of the political spectrum are infallible. And so, for example, to take an example from COVID, I think it's misinformation to say that vaccines don't work. I think there is a fair argument about whether mask mandates work or don't work. I have my own view of it. But I don't think either, I don't think it is misinformation to say mask mandates work. And I don't think it's misinformation to say mask mandates don't work. And I don't think we should take either philosophical debates or matters of opinion or cases where the evidence and say that our opponents are, are engaging in misinformation. I, I, I think that's really dangerous. I agree. On the internet, I don't know if you know about this thing, the internet, <laughs> people are still fighting about mask mandates and vaccine mandates. I was in the COVID vaccine trials. I am not an anti-vaxxer by any stretch of the imagination, but like, you know, I'll probably have another shot in the fall when I get my flu shot. But, you know, I'm perfectly healthy. I've had COVID twice. I've been totally fine. I mean, I'm not on some like desperate quest to get vaccinated every four days. And yet there still is a section of the population that is like, like, I mean, are we just so traumatized from the experience of living through a pandemic that people just have to fight with each other about this? Or is there like some underlying thing? Well, I think there's a little bit of an underlying thing, but I think you just hit the nail on the head. We are still traumatized by the pandemic and that's to be expected. It has changed daily life in the way that nothing has, certainly since World War II. And an example I use a lot is I'm a New Yorker. I was in New York on 9-11. It was worse than anything that I'd ever seen or gone through. So in no way am I minimizing it. I'm just stating a fact, which is for anyone who was not directly infected by it, if you did not have a relative who was killed, your life was back to something that looked like normal within, I don't know, two weeks, even in New York, three weeks, you were going back to the office, daily rituals were the same. COVID permanently, in all likelihood, changed our lives. We don't go to the office anymore. People don't go to the office anymore. Right. And not only that, but it killed vast numbers of people and it had terrible side effects. I mean, we have never had as damaging an event to American education as COVID. And also life expectancies went down. 
and life expectancy. So when you when you think about what COVID itself did in terms of the direct toll of the pandemic, and then whether you think that these were good policies or not, when you think about the horrible toll of our pandemic precautions, like closing schools, we haven't been through anything this terrible or disruptive in our lives. And when you combine that with the terrible degree of political polarization that we have in society, I think that explains why. I mean, look, most people are just over COVID. They're like done with it. They're not going to write about it. But I think that explains why you still see some of this uh, intensity around it. Yeah. I mean, that makes a lot of sense. And it's funny because it's like, so after 9-11, I grew up in New York and I was in New York on 9-11. I was 21. And right after I flew to do Oprah with my mom and we flew to Chicago over the smoldering, it was October, over the smoldering wreckage of the World Trade Center. I mean, it just forever affected me. But it is true. We did go back to normal life quite soon after that. Yeah. COVID really will shape, I assume it'll shape our lives. I mean, I guess at this point I should say, I hope nothing else shapes our lives as much as COVID. Yeah. You know, I remember around that time I had Paul Krugman on the podcast and I asked him if he thought that COVID would shape our economy because we lost a million people and then we have these untold numbers of people with long COVID. So, I mean, I guess it's too soon to really know what those numbers are, but you could see that happening. Yeah. I think that explains why we still see some fights over it. But, you know, look, we see fights over nearly every major subject in American life. So why should COVID be any different? It's true. It feels very real to me right now because since Fauci retired, this sort of anti-vax crew, which has a lot of, and I don't even know why they're anti-vax at this point, right? I mean, do it two, two years ago, but there are a lot of tech billionaires who are very involved in this whatever, and they're all sort of targeting Peter Hotez who, you know, is just a dear, dear man. So it's gotten me very, it feels very fresh right now. So I want to talk to you about where we are right now with this Republican primary. I mean, I always feel like because I'm on the opinion side, I'm really lucky because I never have to, you know, I can just have an opinion. But like to cover politics right now in such a fraught time in a straight way has to be really tricky. Yes. I mean, I'm not out on the campaign trail. I, I, may sometimes go out on it toward the end. Look, I think it's clearly changed. I mean, even setting aside Trump, you know, Ron DeSantis basically doesn't give interviews to anyone from whom he thinks he might get skeptical questions. You know, that's very different from from the past, both Republican and Democratic administrations. I mean, I, you know, I wrote something that the Bush administration didn't like. They asked me to come in and we had this, you know, great, this is 20 years ago, and we had this kind of great debate about it. And they said some things that changed my view, and I told them that, that I still had continued up the basic view I have. And, you know, I, I interviewed John McCain and Mitt Romney on the campaign trail in 2008. And so, no, I mean, the polarization of society really has affected the way we cover presidential campaigns in, in, in I think, damaging ways. Like, that's not the biggest problem in media. The biggest problem in media is the decline of local media. Right. I think overall, our national media is relatively healthy, even if it's somewhat polarized, and even if the problem of the spread of, of actual misinformation is a problem. And it's not the same as sort of things that are not necessarily, that feel incorrect. Yeah. I mean, I think, where are we in the campaign at this point? Like, I really thought DeSantis, when, when DeSantis seemed to be closing the gap with Trump, I took that seriously. I think that could happen again. There's a long way to go. 
If you go back to the Obama-Clinton primary, there were multiple times in the odd-numbered year, which then was 2007 and now is 2023, when it just looked like Obama was just done. I mean, you can go back and read people writing his political obituary. Why isn't he cutting into Clinton's lead? And basically every major publication, including the New York Times. And the answer was, well, it's a long campaign and he wasn't destined to win, but he did. And I think similarly this time, Trump really does have some weaknesses, the legal cases. But at this point, I think you just have to say that Trump is the overwhelming favorite to get the Republican nomination. And although if he does, his odds of winning are serious, but you also would clearly go into it as, as the underdog against Biden. But why do you think DeSantis, because you're the first person to say this to me. I mean, I certainly think it's a crowded field. But I'm just curious why you think that there might be more to DeSantis. I mean, he definitely is the favorite for people who are smart Trumpers. But I'm just curious. I mean, I think he entered in stronger than other Republicans. But I feel like the more we get to know him, the less he sort of has the appeal. But he does have he is the Trumpiest. I think that he's still the strongest other than Trump in the polls. He's still the strongest in terms of elite support, probably even stronger than Trump in terms of fundraising. And so if you go back and you say, and I understand history is not, you know, is not guaranteed to repeat itself. There is never a candidate like Trump. But it's a good precedent. But it's a good precedent. At this stage in the campaign, is there anyone who looks like, say, Tim Scott or Nikki Haley or Mike Pence in terms of polling and money and endorsements? And by all that, I mean polling weakness, lack of money, lack of endorsements. Right, 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 yes. Have gotten the nomination? Like, Maybe Jimmy Carter in 76. That's the thing. There wasn't either a Trump or a DeSantis in that race. And so DeSantis still does look like some people who've kind of come back to get the nomination like Obama. Um, and just in terms of the polling and stuff. Again, I'm not I'm not predicting that. I think I do not think it's the most likely scenario. You think the most likely scenario is still Trump? I think the most likely scenario is still Trump. And quite frankly, if you told me that the nominee was neither Trump nor DeSantis, I got to say, I might pick someone. I, and, and you told me that I either had to pick one of the other people who's announced or pick the field. I take the field. To me, it's something weird where like the indictments and the trials cause a whole big mess. And, and you know, someone like Glenn Youngkin gets in the race really late. I don't see Pence or Scott or Haley or help me, Molly, who are all other names. I don't see any of them. Yeah, or Rick Scott, even. It's funny because it's like if you were worried and my anxiety is largely like because I have children is like authoritarianism comes to the United States. Right. So if that's your anxiety, then the worst candidate is Trumpism without Trump, which would be obviously DeSantis. But it seems to me like just as we watch this process, that it's actually lesser Trumpism is not how it's going to, you know, it'll either be Trump or it'll be the party having some kind of seizure and deciding finally that that's not what they want. Yeah. You know, my colleague Ested Herndon, he made this point that changed the way I think about it. Donald Trump and I hesitate to say this, but there's a fun aspect to him as a political candidate for people who don't focus so much on matters of substance. Like if you don't care that much about politics and many Americans do not, like, you know, he's a showman, it, like it's outrageous, you're never sure what's going to happen. And I do think for some number of voters, 
they kind of like that. And I mean, Ron DeSantis is many things. I don't think fun is a word that almost anyone would use <laughs> to describe him, including many of his fans. And I do think it's a little bit hard to completely unpack what makes Trump so appealing to Republicans and then put it back together in some incomplete way. We find ourselves in a situation of these, you know, is charismatic presidential candidate. I mean, as a Democrat, I have seen that my party run more than a few candidates where, you know, everyone said, well, charisma, people don't really vote on charisma. Like, obviously they do. Yeah. And if John Dukakis, if you're listening to this, I'm sorry. And I, I, I treasure you as a friend, but your dad, he couldn't be president because he just didn't have it. Sorry. I can't be mean to Mike Dukakis. There's a new rule on this podcast. <laughs> Those things matter. I mean, it makes me wonder, boy, the stakes are so high. Shouldn't the parties probably be investing a little bit more in the in the personal side of candidate development. I mean, you know, there's just this fascinating poll done by the Center for Working Class Politics in which they gave swing voters a bunch of candidate profiles. And it's not exactly shocking, but people would rather have their candidates be teachers and nurses and warehouse workers and doctors. So it's not all, you know, blue collar stuff. They would rather not have them be lawyers or, or big company executives. And there are all kinds of things that people vote on. And it sort of feels like the political system hasn't yet optimized some of the ways in which you win elections. It's not all about policy. David, thank you so much for joining us. So interesting. I hope you will come back. I definitely will. Thanks for having me, Molly. Hi, it's Molly, and I am wildly excited that for the first time, Fast Politics, the show you're listening to right now, is going to have merch for sale. Over at shop.fastpoliticspod.com, you can now buy shirts, hats, hoodies, and tote bags with our incredible designs. We've heard your cries to spread the word about our podcast and get a tote bag with my adorable Leo, the rescue puppy on it. And now you can grab this merchandise only at shop.fastpoliticspod.com. Thanks for your support. Rachel Hunt is a member of the North Carolina State Senate and a candidate for lieutenant governor there. Welcome to Fast Politics, Rachel Hunt. Thank you. I'm happy to be here. We're delighted to have you. So you are a state senator in North Carolina and you are running for lieutenant governor. Talk to me about what that means and why you're doing that. Sure. Well, I was raised in North Carolina. I love the state and I refuse to sit back and watch as extremists try to move the state I love backwards. I've spent my whole life serving here, both in and out of elected office. Before that, I ran a domestic violence shelter. I practiced family law. I served on the board of my son's public charter school. And I've had the honor of representing my community in the state house and now the state senate. As a mother, I'm running to build a North Carolina that families want to raise their children in. One where an honest day of hard work pays off and there are good paying jobs that will keep our young people here. We need a North Carolina where everyone can make their own decisions and kids can get a world-class public education. 
I'm running to ensure that working North Carolinians from every part of the state have a seat at the table. So if you're with me, please join me at rachelhunt.com. So right now you do have a Democratic governor. That's correct. But you also have a very powerful Republican state government, and that has led to a lot of stuff. Can you talk a little bit about the landscape of North Carolina? Yes. So we are unfortunately in the super minority in both the House and the Senate, which obviously makes the governor's vetoes um, able to be overridden, which they have been and they will continue to be, which is making us into a completely Republican state. And the issues that the Republicans are pushing, especially with regards to women's rights and the rights of children, are completely unacceptable. And we have to fight against them. Those are like a statewide abortion ban, right? Yes, absolutely. And what else? So other things are partisan gerrymandering. That's a huge thing in our state. And we just lost our Supreme Court as well to the Republicans So now they have ruled that gerrymandering is allowed in North Carolina. So we are going back in September to redraw all the districts and we will lose all of the Democratic congressional seats that we had, except for possibly two. So even though our state is basically 50-50, we will end up with 10 or 11 congressional Republicans. And it's the same for the state House and Senate districts. Wait, why? Because they know, they, meaning the Republicans, know the only way they can continue to win is by cheating. And cheating is through gerrymandering. And they know that people are not behind the way they value things, especially this abortion ban. And that if people had one vote for each person that in a non-gerrymandered situation, they would all lose their seat. So what happens now? I mean, is there anything to do with this gerrymandering or is it really unfixable? Well, the gerrymandering situation is very difficult because, you know, the Supreme Court is not up for re-election this year. That's several more years until we can get those people out of office. What we are going to have to do is fight like we've never fought before and make sure people overwhelmingly come out to vote. Because if we can get every single unaffiliated and Democrat to vote, we can beat them. And that is what we have to do. We have to make sure people understand their lives are at stake and their livelihoods with things like the income tax being got rid of the corporate income tax in North Carolina. People will pay for that. Women will die because of the abortion ban. And the things about trans children in sports and otherwise will also result in suicide rates of those children going by up. Um, And so tell me, how are you running in your state and what does that look like? So I, you know, started in 2018 when I won a House district. I won one that was an R plus nine district. Trump won by nine percentage points in 2016. And so I have been able to fight and win in districts like that. And the way I do it is going door to door, making sure I talk to every single person and I got Republican votes that year too, and making sure we get our message out to everyone. This year, women, especially in suburban areas, are very, very angry and they are not going to take what is being done to them in North Carolina sitting down and they will come out and vote. So we just have to make sure they know who to vote for, what the issues are besides abortion, and that they have to vote. Because we also have 
some issues that we've just passed to make voting more difficult. Right. Yeah. Talk to us about that. Yes. If you try to do a mail-in ballot, which became extremely popular during the pandemic, they have cut off the number of days that they will allow it to be received. They are going to now have more stringent things with you know, signatures that have to match two-factor authentication, which is not used anywhere else in the country. You know, they're also making it more difficult if you want to register and vote on the same day, which we know that is disproportionately affects minority people and students because they know the only way they can win is by cheating. And this is just another way to do that. Yeah. Talk to me about what that looks like with the voting. What will happen on the ground? So we have got to have people out right now. First of all, getting people their IDs. That's the, This is the first year that goes into effect, having to have an ID. We have not given extra money to the Board of Elections. We hope in the final budget they will get some extra money, but other people are going to have to pick up the slack, including campaigns, to make sure people understand the rules. And we also just have to make sure people come out and vote in person. You know, we have early voting here, so that's what they need to do. So early voting is still okay, but mail-in voting, they've made it harder again. That's right. That's right. And if your mail-in vote doesn't count and is turned into a provisional ballot, it will be much harder to cure that, especially if you're not, you know, able to drive or in some other situation like that. Right. While we're here, just a little bit more about what it would mean to have a Democratic lieutenant governor in North Carolina. Having a Democratic governor and a female Democratic governor in North Carolina would be great. We've only had one other female Democratic lieutenant governor in history. And we know the value of having women at the decision making table. As lieutenant governor, I will preside over the state Senate. And I'll be in the room with the governor helping to make critical decisions. We have to have a strong Democratic governor, lieutenant governor, and attorney general at the helm to fight for our rights and make sure that North Carolina's women and workers are at the forefront of our priorities. Why do you think North Carolina has been so beguiling for Democrats? I mean, I think a lot of people would have said that it seemed more likely you'd see a flipped North Carolina before you'd see a flipped Georgia, but here we are. I mean, why do you think it's been so beguiling for us? I think the gerrymandering issue is one of the reasons. You know, we started that in North Carolina. We were the first state to really be very good at gerrymandering and to do it to an extreme degree. And so that set up, you know, starting in 2010, when the Republicans took over the state legislature, that has set up this entire time that they have been in control of the legislature over 10 years now. And because they were able to control the district lines, you know, and make people's votes count less than they should fully in a democracy, they have been able to hold on to power. But, you know, we are starting to chip away. We won a state house seat in an exurban county, which is exactly what we are going to work on now. We know that in the counties that are right outside of the cities in North Carolina, people are ready to make changes. They may they may have moved here. We have 100 people a day that move into Charlotte. Um, they don't understand that Republicans in North Carolina are not the same as Republicans in New York or Massachusetts. And once they find out, they are willing and ready to vote the right way for the Democrats. 
Here we are in this off year. What do you think the people in North Carolina are looking for for candidates? What do they want to see from Biden in this presidential? What do you think the ethos is in your state? And how do you think Democrats could win in the 24? Well, I think we win by meeting people where they are, talking about issues that they care about. My dad was governor in this state for 16 years. He had people from every background that supported him. He was able to get an incredible amount of things done by Republicans and Democrats working together. And that's because, you know, we talked about things that are that are important to us. Things like quality and affordable health care, fully funding our public schools, supporting family farmers, bringing jobs to the state, keeping communities safe. None of these are partisan. They appeal to everyone. And those are the issues that should be a top priority for all of us. That is what my campaign is doing. We are building a grassroots movement in every single of the 100 counties. And it'll be a platform for the issues that North Carolinians care about. They do not care about these social issues that the Republicans are trying to push. Those are just red flags. They are meaningless. They are not what people care about. And we have to keep the attention on the issues people care about and and make sure that they understand we are the party, we are the people, we are the candidates who are going to help them. Do you still think that Trump has a real kind of base in North Carolina? I would say he still has about 30 percent of the people that are Republican that support him. Yes. From what you're sort of seeing on the ground in North Carolina, do they seem angrier? Do they seem like they've sort of are kind of living with the defeat of Trumpism? Or do you think they think their guy's going to win next time? Oh, no, they, they think their guy's going to win. They are fully in that that world. They have all pledged allegiance to him. They think that they're going to be able to do exactly what they did last time when he won. And they think he's going to win. There's no like moment of reflection or anything. Absolutely not. If they had a moment of reflection, they would not be able to pass these laws that they're passing. When voters talk to you, I mean, what are the things they're the most concerned with? They are concerned with their children being safe at school. They are concerned with their children's education. They are concerned with health care. Women, as I've said before, women on the doorsteps. When I was knocking doors last year for my state Senate race, women over 70 would actually break down in tears to talk and talk to me about when they fought for the right to have abortion in the state and in this country and how happy they were when Roe v. Wade was passed and how devastated they are with the Dobbs decision. Yeah, I continue to think Dobbs is a much bigger deal than even now it's being painted as. I I do too. And, you know, our ban goes into effect July 1st. And once that happens, people are really going to see this is not just about abortion. This is about health care. If you are pregnant and you have a very bad situation, you need to get care. And the doctors are going to leave. They're going to leave the state. Well, and also the doctors don't want to lose their licenses, right? Exactly. And I don't blame them. Yeah. I'm so delighted to have you. So when is your, tell us when your election is. So the primary is March 8th. I do have one primary opponent. I hope that he drops out, but we'll see. We can do it either way. And then, of course, the election is in November. Great. Thank you so much for joining us. You're so welcome. It was my pleasure. And anyone who wants to go to my website, rachelhunt.com, please do. And now your moment of fuckery. 
Jesse Cannon. Molly Jung Fast, the Money Honey Maria Bartiromo, and Senator Marsha Blackburn. They, they sounded like Alex Jones to me. It's all... <laughs> the idea here is that Biden orchestrated a coup with on Putin to distract from Hunter Biden's laptop. That's really what it is. And and I just want to say that if Biden could organize a coup to remove Vladimir Putin, I don't think he's going to... Dumbest people saying the dumbest things. Congratulations, Fox News. You've done it again. That's it for this episode of Fast Politics. Tune in every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday to hear the best minds in politics make sense of all this chaos. If you enjoyed what you've heard, please send it to a friend and keep the conversation going. And again, thanks for listening. Whether you're a savvy spender maximizing your savings with cashback rewards, a thrifty rate watcher seeking the lowest interest, or a travel enthusiast looking for extraordinary perks, Kemba Financial Credit Union has a visa to complement your lifestyle and unique needs. Apply today at Kemba.org to unlock a limited time 2% cashback on purchases. And pay 0% interest on balance transfers for an entire year with a new visa from Kemba. You deserve a card that works for you. Restrictions apply. Offer ends June 30th, 2024. Live Nation presents Concert Week. Now through May 14th, get $25 tickets to over 5,000 shows. That's up to 75% off a summer full of your favorite artists like 21 Savage, Alanis Morissette, Cage the Elephant, Celeste Barber, Dirk Bentley, Fade, Hootie and the Blowfish, Janet Jackson, Kids Bop Kids, Megan Trainor, Bissell Pluma, Sarah McLaughlin. Get tickets to more than 5,000 summer shows for just $25. Until now through May 14th. Visit LiveNation.com slash Concert to learn more and plan your summer with Sean Paul, Sum 41, 30 Seconds to Mars, oh, and Two Door Cinema Club. Are you looking for the perfect move-in ready home this spring season? Now's the time to buy at Fisher Homes. For a limited time only, enjoy below market interest rates starting at 5.375% APR, 6.139% APR. With these exclusive lower rates, you can save hundreds on a move-in ready home and start enjoying the benefits of home ownership even faster. Schedule your personal tour with one of our new home specialists at fisherhomes.com and make this spring the season you find your perfect home sweet home. Financing provided by Victory Mortgage, LLC, NMLS 461249, Equal Housing Lender. Looking for a fabulous fashion brand that celebrates you? Then look no further than Boston Proper, where styles are designed with you in mind, so you can look and feel amazing, no matter the day, season, or occasion. At bostonproper.com, you'll find fashion that knows you best. For over 30 years, Boston Proper has been the fashion destination for confident women who want to elevate their look with unique, sophisticated clothing at affordable prices. Visit bostonproper.com today. Boston Proper. Wear it like no one else.